Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Yeah, I want to say a happy Easter to those who are joining us in the overflow rooms and those who are joining us online, those who are upstairs in the family room. Happy Easter to all of you. And friends, he is risen. Oh, you guys, I think we can do better. Don't you agree? Yeah, yeah. He is risen. Oh, yeah. Good job. I like that much better. Uh, we are starting a series called Jesus Said What today? You have to say it like that. Jesus Said What? Or, or not. Either way. In which we're going to be looking at some passages of Jesus' teaching and actions that we don't always look at. There are certain teachings and actions of Jesus that are talked about all the time. They're very familiar to people in the church, and sometimes they're even very familiar to people outside the church. Can you think of some of those? Maybe parables like the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son. Jesus' teaching in places like John 3.16 or the Great Commandment to love God and love others. They're very familiar passages, and we come back to them again and again. But there are a handful of other passages in the Gospels that we cover far less often because they confuse us. They're challenging for us to understand. And those passages are what we're going to highlight in the series that we're starting today on Easter called Jesus Said What? That's right. And in today's passage, our Easter passage that we're covering today that Joel just read for us, we see Jesus make a whip and he drives people and animals out of the temple. What is the temple? It's the place where you were supposed to go to worship God. And Jesus drove people out of the place where you're supposed to go to worship God. And then he turns over tables and scatters money. And when they ask Jesus, by what authority are you doing all of these things? What does he say? He answers and says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it all again in three days. And the people say, oh, you are crazy. What, what are we to make of this crazy scene? Why is Jesus angry? And is it okay that he's angry? L let's start today by looking at the situation that brought this response out of Jesus. What's going on in John chapter 2, that passage that was just read for us? Jesus and his disciples have come to Jerusalem along with hundreds of thousands of other people in order to celebrate the Passover. When you came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, you went to the temple in order to pay the temple tax and to make the necessary sacrifices that you needed to make. Hundreds of thousands of Jews have come to Jerusalem in order to celebrate Passover. But there are also some Gentiles who have come in order to celebrate Passover as well. There were God-fearing Gentiles who worshipped the God of the Jews, and they came to worship in the court of the Gentiles. And while they came to do that, Jesus and his disciples, they walked into the court of the Gentiles, and what they saw there made Jesus angry. What did they see? They saw animal vendors with all of their animals spread out throughout the court of the Gentiles so that they could sell people animals for sacrifice. They saw money changers there who were helping people exchange their coins because you weren't allowed to bring your temple tax in the Roman currency. Why not? 
Because the Roman currency had a great big image of the emperor on it who was claiming to be God. And it would be blaspheme to bring your temple tax in a coin that had an image of the emperor on it. So you had to exchange all of your everyday money for temple money. And so there were money changers there to help you do that. Now, you guys, what's frustrating about that? That, that sounds helpful. You got people selling animals. You need animals to sacrifice. You have people helping you exchange money. You need to exchange that money in order to pay the temple tax. Doesn't that all sound nice and friendly and helpful? The problem is that these people had turned this court of the Gentiles into a rip-off circus. You had people who were exchanging money for those who needed coins, but they were doing so at a rate of two times the amount you were exchanging. So if you came to pay the temple tax, which was about $5 in our money today, they would charge you $10 in order to exchange five. You pay 15, you get five in return. On top of that, there were priests who had been on a farm for 18 months learning how to examine animals in order to find any possible blemish because you weren't supposed to offer a sacrifice that had a blemish. And so they were trained to look for blemishes that existed or, get this, blemishes that may come about in the animal. And so they rejected as many animals as they could so that people had to buy their animals from the vendors in the temple. Why? Because in order to buy those animals, guess what you had to use? Temple currency. So you got to deal with the money changers again, and they were going to charge you double the rate in order to change your money so that you could buy those animals. God had designed this court to be a place of worship, and it had turned into a zoo, semi-literally. They referred to this court of the Gentiles rip-off circus as the bazaars of Annas because they recognized that the chief priest Annas was the one who was running this entire rip-off operation. And when Jesus sees what is going on and the hindrance that it is to people worshiping God, he gets angry. He, he gets angry about what is going on. Why is Jesus angry in this situation? Jesus is angry at what he sees because Jesus is angry at sin. Jesus hates sin, and he gets angry when he sees sin. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, we are told that Jesus was angry because the Jewish leaders were constantly thinking about themselves and never doing what was best for the people. Jesus is regularly angry with the Pharisees, calls them a brood of vipers because they are regularly selfish and sinful in their approach to things. Jesus says, you guys, it would be better for you if you had a giant stone tied around your neck and were thrown into the sea than to teach somebody else to sin. He says it's better to cut off your hand or pluck out your eye than to allow it to lead you into sin because Jesus hates sin. And he gets angry when he sees sin. Can you, can you imagine as, as Jesus walks in and he sees this and he grows angry, what does he do? Jesus just flies off the handle, doesn't he? He starts flipping tables and throwing money. Oh, I'm so sorry. Blake, I'm coming after you. That's what we do to all the drummers here. Yes. Wow. 
Okay, so those are, I, di I didn't even mean to do that. Those are chocolate-covered coins, and I'm going to need help from the kids after the service, okay? Because I don't want to take any of these home with me. And so kids who are in here, kids who are watching up in the family room, kids who are in the overflow, I need you to come and help get these chocolate-covered coins. And, and we'll get counseling for you <laughs> because the pastor is throwing things at you from the stage. Absolutely. Right? Does Jesus just walk in and fly into a rage? Does he fly off the handle? No, no that's not what he does when he comes in and sees it. What happens when Jesus walks in and sees what's going on in the court of the Gentiles? We're told that Jesus goes around and he finds cords. We, we don't know exactly what these cords look like. The Greek word is for a little cord that he uses. And he finds these cords, and maybe they were attached in some way at the bottom, and he begins to make a whip. We're told he fashions or weaves together a whip out of these cords. And so maybe they were already attached in some way, or maybe they were loose cords like this, and he began to braid them together like I braid my daughter's hair or something like that. Uh, how, how long would it take me to braid together these ropes in order to make a whip. I got to believe it would take me something like eight days to get that project done. Right? And it would be one ugly whip when I was done with it. So we have to assume that Jesus was better at this than I am. But even at that, think about the amount of time it took him to get those cords and fashion them into a whip. Jesus didn't just fly off the handle. This was intentional and thoughtful what he did. Have you ever flown off the handle? Right? Anyone in the room ever flown off the handle? Come on now. When, when, I was, when my son was nine years old, he was in his bedroom and he was swinging his baseball bat. And we told him, please don't swing your baseball bat in the house. But he's up there swinging his baseball bat in his bedroom, and it slips out of his hands, flies across the room, and smashes through his 30-gallon fish tank. <laughs> By the time I get there, there's my nine-year-old son in his bare feet in the middle of the broken glass trying to pick up fish while there's 30 gallons of smelly fish water all over the floor beginning to leak through the carpet and down through the flooring you got all those little stones everywhere all over and the fake plants. And when I saw what was going on, I blew up. Right? I, I lost it, we might say. This was not reason and loving discipline towards my son. This was just me losing it and blowing up at him. By the way, who... Who is it that's leading the parenting seminar in a couple of months? In a couple of weeks? Oh yeah, that's me! I guarantee I will have lot, lots more parental failures to share with you at that uh, parenting seminar. It'll be great. What, what did we sing? My, my sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Amen. Amen, I need that. I share this with you because when I was a kid and I heard this story about Jesus clearing out the temple, I pictured Jesus just going off, blowing up, losing it. But the passage says he came in and he spent the time to fashion a whip. This is thoughtful and reasoned anger that Jesus is using here in this passage. 
He is angry because what he sees before him is sin. It's selfishness. It's greed. It's dishonesty. And those things make Jesus angry. Why is Jesus angry about sin? Why is Jesus angry about my sin, you guys? A couple of things come to my mind. First of all, Jesus is angry about my sin because it hurts someone that he loves deeply, namely me. Jesus loves me more than I love myself. He loves me better than I love myself. And he wants what is best for me. And he recognizes that when I choose to live in sin, I am damaging myself and damaging my soul. And that hurts him and it makes him angry to see me damaging someone that he loves so deeply, me. Not only that, but sin also makes Jesus angry because my sin doesn't just damage me, it damages others. When I flew off the handle and blew up at my son when he was nine years old, that hurt him. That did damage to him because our sin damages other people. What kind of damage was being done by the fact that they had turned the court of the Gentiles into this circus with ripping people off over and over again? What kind of damage was being done to people's view of God, to people's worship of God, to the Gentiles' worship of God? Our sin damages others. And Jesus loves those others, doesn't he? And so he is angry about sin. But friends, most of all, Jesus is angry about sin because it is a slap in the face to the one that he loves above all else, his Father. Zeal for your house will consume you, right? It, it's zeal for the Father's house that consumes Jesus here. And Jesus is angry because he recognizes that when we sin, we slap our maker in the face. He has made us to operate a certain way. And we say, no, we're going to operate the way we want to operate and do what we want instead of what you have called us to. And that's a slap in the face to the one that Jesus loves more than anyone else, the Father. By the way, it works the other way as well, doesn't it? When we disobey and when we sin, it's a slap in the face to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. And that angers the Father. And so Jesus was angry about sin in this situation. And so he makes a whip and he drives them out and he turns over the tables and he scatters the money. And the Jewish leaders come to him and they say, by what authority are you doing all of these things? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, tear down this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. Go ahead, tear down this temple. I'll raise it again in three days. And the people who heard him say this thought he was crazy because the temple had been under construction for 46 years, and it still wasn't finished. Herod the Great started a remodel of the temple before Jesus was born. The temple mount was expanded to double the size that it had been. And Herod was busy making everything magnificent and enormous within the temple. Everything was made to shine and glitter and it was beautiful. And in 
the midst of all of that, there had been construction workers working on the temple every week for 46 years, and it still wasn't finished. And Jesus says, hey, tear it down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And everybody goes, what? But as the passage points out, Jesus wasn't talking about the temple building, was he? He was talking about his own body. Jesus says, I am the temple. And that's made clear by the word that he uses for temple when he says, tear down this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. It's a different word than is used earlier in the passage. In verse 14, when the temple complex is mentioned, there is a Greek word used for the whole temple building. But when Jesus says, tear down this temple and I'll raise it again in three days, he uses a word that is specific to the holy place and the holy of holies. Jesus is saying, I am the holy place where God has come to dwell among humankind. Colossians chapter 2 verse 19 says, in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And he refers to himself here as the holy place where God has come to dwell among people, God in the flesh. And he says, tear down this flesh, tear down this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. That's what we celebrate here today, isn't it? The fact that though Jesus was put to death, though Jesus went to the cross for our sins, he got up again in three days so that we can have new life so that sin and death were defeated and we can now live in the victory of Jesus Christ and dwell with him and all that is good forever. We celebrate that here today. Every time we proclaim he is risen, he is risen indeed, we are mindful of this amazing victory of Jesus in this situation and that when they tore down that temple, he raised it again in three days in victory. And you guys, I love this account from John chapter 2. Because the temple story that we see in John chapter 2 is my story. The temple story that we see in John chapter 2 is my story. And I would ask you, is the temple story that we see here your story? The temple story in John chapter 2 is my story in the sense that, like the temple, I was created to be a dwelling place of God. The temple existed so that God himself could dwell within the holy of holies and be with his people. And God's design for you and for me is that we would be that kind of temple and that he would dwell within us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that all of those who are in Christ Jesus become temples of the living God. His spirit dwells within them. God in us. That was God's design from the very beginning, that we would be the dwelling place of God. Not only that, like the temple, I was created to reflect God's glory. When we read about the temple, we read about all of these astounding materials that were used, the, the great stones, the gold, the ivory, all of those lush tapestries and jewels why were all of these expensive and majestic things used in the temple? To represent the majesty and glory of God. 
And in the same way, I was meant to reflect the majesty and beauty and glory of God. Genesis chapter 1 says that God made mankind, men and women, in his image and likeness. God's great beauty and majesty can be seen in the fact that he is love. And I was meant to reflect that by making every choice in love and never selfishness. God's great majesty and beauty can be seen in the fact that he is truth. And I was to reflect that glory by making every choice in honesty and never in dishonesty. God's great glory and majesty can be seen in the fact that he is joy itself. And so every day of my life was to be lived in joy and never in anxiety or discouragement. God made us to reflect his greatness and his glory. But, oh, and that word hurts me. But, like the temple in this story, sin entered this temple. Like the temple in this story, sin, when Jesus walks into the court of the Gentiles, what he sees there is sin. And sin entered this temple as well. From me being mean to my sister at age six, to me cheating on a test in school a few years later, to me blowing up at my son in anger when he was nine, to me living far too many days in my marriage thinking about myself first instead of my wife, again and again and again, what I see in my life is that sin has entered the temple. And like in John chapter 2, God was angry about that sin, right? Like the temple, God was angry about that sin. The New Testament word that describes God's anger towards sin is the word wrath. It's used in places like John 3, 36, that says, whoever believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on them. Romans 2.5 says, but because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Romans 5.9 says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? God's anger towards sin in the New Testament is described as his wrath. What is his wrath, you guys? His wrath is not an emotional explosion because of our sin. God does not fly off the handle because he just can't handle it anymore. There is actually a Greek word for that. It's the Greek word thumos which after it makes its way through the Latin into our English language, you hear it in words like thermometer or thermostat. Thumos means literally to get hot. That ever happened in your life? Where, where from the soles of your feet all the way to the top of your head, you can feel your temperature rising and you just blow up in emotional anger. That is not the word used about the wrath of God. The word used about the wrath of God, the Greek word is orge. It means a thoughtful, reasoned, and growing anger. 
an anger that has been stewing and is justified. But just because it is a thoughtful and reasoned anger does not mean that God's wrath is any less potent. Our God is described in the scripture as a consuming fire, isn't he? He is a consuming fire, and on occasion, he lets us get a tiny glimpse of his wrath. Like in Genesis 18 and 19, when he destroys the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, or in Acts chapter 5, when he takes the lives of Ananias and Sapphira because of their sin. These are tiny glimpses of the wrath of God. And as Romans 2 just pointed out, there is a great day of God's wrath coming, in which his wrath will be unleashed on all sin. God is angry about sin as Jesus was angry about it there in the temple. But here is where the good news is unleashed in my life and I hope in your life as well because just like in the temple, Jesus cleansed me. Right? Just like in the temple, Jesus cleansed me. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making, catch this, purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What did Jesus do? He cleansed our sins. He made purification for sins. Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 14, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What has Jesus done? He has purified or cleansed me. He has taken all of my sin right? and he has placed it upon himself on the cross. My sins and the punishment for my sin, the wrath of God poured out upon on Jesus on the cross so that I might receive the righteousness of Christ in my account before God instead. God made him who knew no sin to become sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. Right? Jesus became sin so that I might become what? the very righteousness of God. Jesus' work has cleansed me. Jesus' work has purified me, not because of anything that I have done or my goodness, but because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again to new life. Do we celebrate that today? Yeah, we do. Though my sins, they are many. What? His mercy is more, right? Though my sins, they are many. His mercy is more. As I look at my life, I see that sin entered the temple, but Jesus has cleansed me. Is the temple story your story as well? This morning, as you sit there, do you recognize that God created you to be the very dwelling place for Him? that God made you to reflect His glory? Do you also recognize that sin has entered into the temple and that God is angry about sin? But friends, do you also recognize that through the work of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross for our sins and His resurrection to new life, that we can be cleansed and set free from sin? John chapter 3, verse 36. Let me read it again. I'll even put it, oh, I already put it up for you. Good for me. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, you guys. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The wrath of God is upon sin, but sin doesn't need to remain upon me. If I will believe in the Son instead of the wrath of God, I get eternal life. And out of that belief, I obey him and live for him. I become his follower, and he gives me new life in him, life that lasts forever. Is that you? Is the story of the temple your story? I want to invite all of you to bow your heads with me for just a moment, and let's spend a minute with God examining our hearts before him. If you have never in your life turned away from selfishness and sin and turned in faith to Jesus as the center of your life, he invites you to do that this morning. Right now, you can cry out to Jesus for his salvation. Right now, you can cry out to Jesus to be king and Lord over your life. Right now, you can recognize that he made you to be his temple, the place where he dwells, the place that brings glory to him. Right now, you can recognize sin entered your temple. You can see it. But don't stop there, friends, because God wants you to also recognize that he has cleansed the temple that because of the work of Jesus Christ, you can may be made clean from your sins. Will you trust in Him today? Will you place your faith in Him so that He's your King and He is your Lord? If you choose to do that today, we would love to have you let us know on the Connect cards that are on the seats there because we want to walk with you and celebrate with you the salvation of Jesus Christ who cleanses us from the sin of our lives. Go ahead and fill that card out and you can put it in the bucket as it goes by later, letting us know what God has done in your life today. One of the great joys that we have as a church is participating in what we call communion or the Lord's Supper together. That is a time where we remember exactly what Jesus has done on our behalf. That he is the one who has died for our sins. He's the one who's been raised to new life so that we might live in him. And I want to invite you to take those elements out that you grabbed on the way in. If you didn't get them, they're right outside the door, and you can get up and go and grab them right now. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we want you to take these elements with us in order to remember Jesus. And I would encourage you to open the packet and take out the bread that is there. The bread represents Jesus' body that was given for us, the great sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And I want to encourage you guys to take that bread. And as you examine your life and recognize that your sins are many, but what? His mercy is more. To celebrate and take that bread in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to open the cup on the other side.
the cup that represents Jesus' blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as we drink this cup, we are again mindful that as James chapter 3 verse 2 says, we all sin in many ways. We see our brokenness. And then in light of our great brokenness, we see all the clear God's great mercy and his astounding grace in our lives. And we celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so drink this all in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we are so grateful that we can come here today and celebrate what you have done in our lives. We do recognize the depth of our sin and our brokenness. And when we see it all the more clearly, we see how great your grace and your mercy are in our lives. And we celebrate it today. Jesus, we thank you that you got up out of the grave, that three days after they destroyed that human temple, you raised it up to new life so that we can be raised up to new life with you. We look forward to that day and we cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.